0: There was a doctor who gave a speech at a medical conference, and he wrote notes, and he got up to the podium, and he looked at his notes, and he couldn't read a word of his own handwriting. So he looks in the audience, he says, before I begin, is there a pharmacist in the house? Okay. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin that talks about a woman who was once very ill. This is in the times of the Gemara. And uh, she sought all the cures in the world for her illness. And finally she was told that the only cure was to worship the idol Baal And she said, fine, okay, no problem. She was, you know, she was, she was an idol worshiper anyway. She was a pagan. So she said, tell me about how you worship Baal p'er. So they told her the manner of worship, which, uh, what can I do? I, 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 this is, it's in the Gemara, so I'm gonna tell you what it says over there. I'll try to keep it uh, as uh, sanitized as possible. But uh, basically, the form of worship is that they used to eat. Yeah, <laughs> and they would uh, then they would empty themselves. They would uh, before the idol. Basically, that was how they would worship the idol. So yeah, yeah, they they would eat uh, foods that would loosen their digestive system, and then they would uh, relieve themselves before the idol. Um, Yeah, that was how they... Yeah, you following? You you get what I'm saying? What? They would eat, and they would go to the bathroom in front of the idol, and that was not considered disrespectful. That was actually the manner of worship of this idol. Okay, at any rate, the Gemara says, this woman heard this, and she's like, you know what? Forget it. I'd rather die. And she she couldn't do it. The point is... That this is a form of idol worship that is considered disgusting even among idol worshipers. Okay? Fine. So now I have a question for you. Here's my question. This week's Parsha, Parsha's Pinchas. We know that Pinchas was a vigilante, he stood up in a time of crisis. What was the crisis? The moral crisis. One symptom of it was intermarriage, but actually, if you remember, the whole strategy that Bilaam gave to Midian was to trip up the Jews in idol worship, specifically the worship of Baal Peor. So here's a question. Even an idol worshiper was disgusted, was, was found it repulsive to worship this idol, How did so many Jews get wrapped up in Baal Poyer? And uh, what significance, what relevance does it have to us today to even know about this idol? And to what degree do we today have to be careful not to get wrapped up in in this form of idol worship? and at first glance, you know, the whole thing is just so unrelatable and so weird and so i mean repulsive is is the word, but what i'm going to tell you is it's a it's a if you understand the inner meaning of this worship, you're going to understand that it's actually a major temptation which is still rampant today. In fact, perhaps even the greatest um The greatest force in the world against recognizing spiritual truths is probably a modernized form of Baal 'er. Yeah, And I'll tell you right now what it is, what the name of it is. It's called materialism. What's materialism? Materialism is not conspicuous consumption. You have to have a new car, you have to have have new clothes, you have to go on fancy vacations, you have to go out and eat at the fanciest restaurants. People call that materialism. That's not materialism, that's conspicuous consumption. That is a symptom of materialism, but just a symptom, among many symptoms. Real materialism is actually like any ism, an ism is a worldview. An ism is a way of looking at life and framing and giving relevance to, to everything you see. It's, it's, it's a reference point. Every ism is basically a, it's a, it's a pair of glasses through which you see life. So materialism is basically the worldview that all of reality can be reduced to physical components. There was uh, an article in the American Journal of Medicine in the, in the 1920s, written by William H. Mayo. You heard of the Mayo brothers from the Mayo Clinic? OK. So Mayo wrote, a, wrote an article. No, actually, there were the two brothers. This one was Char- Charles, Charles H. Mayo. Uh, so he wrote an article explaining how the human being is worth 84 cents. How is a human being worth 84 cents? He said, look, if you take the human body and you break it down to the chemicals that are present in the body, it has this much phosphorus and this, this much magnesium and this much uh, iron, and you would sell those chemicals as commodities on the open market, it's worth 84 cents. Now I heard since then it was adjusted for inflation, it's about $4.50. Probably in the past year, you know, it's probably $5 now with the inflation in the past year. So a human being is worth $5. Now obviously, Mayo was, he was making a point. His point was actually a criticism against a worldview called medical materialism, which is a form of materialism which, like all materialism, reduces everything to its physical components. So his point was, if you look at a human being and you say, they're just this chemical makeup, they're just the the elements that they're made out of, well then, a human being, you 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 could grossly undervalue a human being because you're not taking into account the fact that a human being isn't just a bunch of stuff, just a bunch of parts or things. A human being is actually a living soul and 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 a a a spiritual being even if you don't use the term spiritual because some for some people that's 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 a bridge too far they 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 can't use that word but just to admit there's something more than just the physical things there's something more than just i mean saying even a non-religious person can admit that there's that there's a body and then there's the life and life is, is is not a physical thing life is intangible life is is, 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 is a, is a, as a force, is, a, is, a, is an energy, which we can't, you know, put it this way. There's the piano and there's the music. So nobody would smash apart a piano looking for the music. Everyone understands that the piano is a physical object made of physical components. And then the music that it produces, that's the, you know, the, 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 the philosophical term for this in, in, in Jewish philosophy, I'm saying, is chaymer and tzura. Chaymer means the substance. Tzura, tzura often gets mistranslated as form. It doesn't mean form, because form you think of like a shape, like a circle, a square, a straight, curved, whatever. Tsura means function. So there's, there's the substance and there's the function. Chimer is the actual physical substance. So... A piano is, you know, a wooden box with, with some uh, metal uh, cords inside, metal wires inside, and some ivory uh, keys. So it's a, that's what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a physical object made of physical components. The tsura, though, the function is that if you know how to touch the keys on this, this box, it produces sounds that can transport the human being to a to a faraway place in their mind it can evoke powerful emotional experiences it can it can bring a person to tears so there's the chimer and there's the tzura there's the physical makeup and then there's the function that it performs you know somebody told me that science proves that a human being has 95% the same DNA as a baboon. And uh, he was trying to, I think he was trying to make some type of a point about evolution or something like that. But my my response was even if you would tell me that a human being has 100% the same DNA as a baboon, that would not change my worldview one bit. Because DNA is talking about the components or the building blocks of the physical substance, the body. It says nothing about the soul, the life force that inhabits that body. But you see, that's the problem with materialism. Materialism says that you just look at the physical components, and that's all there is. That's all there is. So you remember, I don't remember how long ago this was, five, six, seven years ago already, they had that silverback gorilla in the, mm-hmm. where was it, in Cincinnati at the zoo, where the kid fell in, and they shot they sh- Harambe, they shot Harambe, they shot the silverback gorilla. The kid fell in at the zoo. I saw a tweet when that happened. Somebody, a comedian wrote, um, I heard what happened at the Cincinnati Zoo, you know, the kid fell in. What kind of negligent parents raised their child in Ohio? (laughs) 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 Anyway, just a joke, just a joke. Okay, I'm from Illinois. That's okay. At any rate, Midwesterners should not be offended. Anyways, okay. But what was the uproar? The uproar is why did they shoot the silverback? Maybe shoot the kid. I don't think anyone said shoot the kid, but they're like, we'll wait until the silverback tears apart the kid, you know, tear off a limb, and then you shoot. Why would you shoot before? Where does such moral confusion come from? You know where it comes from? Materialism. That's that's materialism. I told you, materialism is not conspicuous consumption. It's not having new cars and new clothes and eating at fancy restaurants. That's one symptom of materialism. At its root, materialism is a reduction where all things can be looked at from a purely physical standpoint. So therefore, what's the difference between the human being and the the gorilla? Hmm? Well, the moral equivalency is is a result, is a tso, is a manifestation of this worldview. In other words, how did they arrive at the moral equivalency? By judging everything based on the physical, and the physical alone. So, therefore, if you say a human being and a, and a gorilla basically have the same DNA, right? Ninety-five percent. This, by the way. You know, a human being, someone can Google this for me, but I believe a human being and a banana have 60% the same DNA. So, you know, maybe if you have to choose between a human being and a banana, maybe that's also a moral quandary, right? Maybe, maybe that's a dilemma. My point is, if you're a materialist, so you look at a human being and the gorilla the human being and the banana, and it's just a bunch of stuff. If you realize, hold on a second, there's more than just the material world. Then you say, hold on a second, there's a clear difference between a human being and a gorilla. The chimer, the physical makeup, the substance may be the same stuff. It's cells, it's blood, it's, it's 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 muscle, its bone. But that's not what a human being is. Again, like the like the mayo article. Is a human being a bunch of chemicals? A human being is a bunch of physical parts? That's the point. Is a human being just a bunch of physical parts? Even if you would tell me a human being has the same physical makeup as an animal. That's just the physical part of it. The spiritual part is so clearly different. In other words, even if you tell me the chimer of a human being and an animal are identical, which they're not exactly, but even if you would tell me the choymer, the substance is identical, the tzura, the function is so clearly different. How a human being functions, meaning the, the, the mission, the purpose, the contribution that a human being makes in this world is so categorically different than an animal. But if you're a materialist no you don't look it out you don't look at any of that (sighs) stephen hawking did a terrible thing he abused his aside from the fact that he was he used his uh celebrity status to uh boycott israel but uh he made a statement he said there's no heaven why did he make a statement there's no heaven because he knew that people would believe him based on his expertise about the physical universe, which he was an expert in the physical universe. But I'll tell you why that was a terrible thing to say, and I I would say actually an evil thing to say. First of all, it's arrogant, because even if you're the world's top expert in the physical universe, so what percentage of the physical universe does that make you an expert in? (laughs) Even he would be able to admit that there are You know, there's millions and trillions more about the physical universe that we don't yet know. Okay, so, but that's just plain arrogance. I'll tell you why it's, it's manipulative and evil. Because he knows that I don't think that I can take a rocket ship and go to heaven. I don't think heaven is a physical location anywhere in the universe. I know that it's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual plane, so why is he invoking his authority as an expert in the physical universe and saying there's no heaven? That's like saying we smashed open the piano and we found no music. Yeah, no kidding. You're talking about one thing which is physical and another thing which is spiritual, and if the word spiritual triggers anyone, if it's too far out, so let's just say intangible. There's the tangible, and there's the intangible. So we live in a world today, unfortunately, where materialism is the most accepted, in fact, to a point of religious fanaticism, is the most accepted way of looking at life, and there's just one way of looking at anything. It's just a reduction to its physical parts. That's the way people look at everything. You know, there's a story... Last week was uh, Yud Base and Yud Gimel Tamaz, which are a Yom Tov in Chabad, because that's when the sixth Rebbe got his uh, release from uh, imprisonment. He had a uh, death sentence hanging over his head because of his activism in communist Russia. And uh, he was released on the 12th, at, well, he was told he was released on the 12th of Tamaz and then he was actually released on the 13th of Tamas. So. Um, during his imprisonment, not, actually not that imprisonment, he was imprisoned uh, and interrogated a few times, but during one of his uh, interrogations, one of, the, uh, one of the interrogators got frustrated with him that he wasn't breaking. They were they, The KGB were masters of, of psychological manipulation and torture. They knew how to break people down and he wouldn't shake, he wouldn't rattle. So they got very, very upset and they pulled out a gun and they, they pointed the gun at him and they actually said, this little toy has been known to make people talk. So very calmly, the previous Rebbe said, this little toy is effective on those who have many gods and one world, but I have one God and two worlds. What does that mean? I used to think it meant, well, kill me, and I'll go to heaven. I have two worlds. So you'll kill me. I'll only die in this world. I'll go to the other world. That's what I used to think it meant. And then I, 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 I guess I figured out at one point that it meant more than that. And then I was very happy. I was learning a sikha from the Rebbe. And the Rebbe told the story and explained what it meant. And I saw, oh, that's what it means. And that's what I suspected it had, I mean, it took me years to figure it out, but then I saw that Abba said clearly, what does it really mean? The Fidigar wasn't saying, kill me in this world, I'll go to the spiritual world. That's what it means, I have two worlds. The Fidigar Ebba was actually saying, even right now, at this moment, I have two worlds. In other words, what was the message to the interrogators? You are materialists. And in fact, they were, they were communists. Communism is dialectical materialism. That's what Marx called his theory. That everything in the world can be reduced to resources, physical resources. And religion is the opiate of the masses. It's a distraction. So uh, he was saying, you are materialists. So you have one reality, the physical reality. That's it. I I inhabit simultaneously two realities, two planes of reality, the physical and the spiritual at the same time. And therefore... This situation, this whole situation, is not what it seems at first glance. In other words, if you just look at the physicality, if you look at the superficiality, the facade of it, you get one read on it. And it looks like the communists are winning, and you got to buckle, and you got to do what they want you to do. But if you understand that there's a lot more to it, in fact, when it comes to Jewish history, (laughs) when it comes to Jewish history, there is uh, a lot more of the supernatural and otherworldly at play than the natural and worldly. I mean, how how many times in Jewish history did a situation from a purely physical reductionist point of view, from a purely materialist point of view, like Hanukkah, let's say, is the archetypical example, that the the, the many fell to the hands of the few, right? So if you look from a purely materialist point of view, we got no chance. But Baruch Hashem... We don't have one world. We don't just have the material plane. We do also have the material plane. And of course, the material plane is important. That's where we do mitzvahs. The soul comes to the material plane in order to be able to do 613 commandments, which can only be done in the material world. So the material world is incredibly important, but it's not the only reality. So that is the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is that there are two worlds simultaneously. And so everything that we do, everything we experience, is coexisting on two planes. Everything that happens to us is happening to our soul and our body simultaneously. There's no such thing as a purely physical act. Mitzvahs are the primary example of that. The mitzvah has spiritual impact because it's not just happening on one plane. It's happening on both physical and spiritual planes simultaneously. Now, let's talk about the allure of materialism. What is the allure of materialism? The allure of materialism is actually it makes life very simple. What you see is what you get. You look at the world. This is all you see empirically right empirically what is the scientific method method scientific method is we make decisions based on what we can on sensorial input what we can see and and and, and taste and touch and, and and hear right our five senses and that's the our the, our five senses are the arbiter of truth and it, it's very comforting in that sense i know the 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 Materialists like to mock religion by saying religion is for people who want to seek comfort. They want they want to feel like something happens after they die, and you know it makes them feel better. And I, I understand they always that's how they always mock religion by saying it's it's comforting. I, I can throw that back the, the, the say I can take the same criticism, throw it back the other direction. Materialism is very comforting, you know. Just makes everything very simple. What you see is what you get, and that's it. That's all there is. There are no mysteries beyond, which we know is a, is a bunch of malarkey anyways, because the scientists themselves will, will admit that there is so much beyond. But, you know, the, anyway, I'm not going to get into the, their whole counter-counter argument, but they would say, well, eventually we will know it all. <laughs> you know, if we just keep on cutting open the pianos, we'll eventually find the music, right? If we just keep on dissecting the human being, eventually we'll find the soul. And if we don't find it, it doesn't exist. That's the materialist point of view. That's scientism. Just as an aside. Yeah. Comfort. Like for you would you would give the example of somebody who doesn't have children because they can't afford them. Right? Because they can That's a that's a great example of materialism. Correct, right? Right. I how I mean how is that a comfort? Um but it simplifies things. And people it, how does it simplify exactly you know what there's a, there's an expression I've made up my mind don't con- don't confuse me with the facts so let me have my simple worldview. don't introduce anything else that's it in other words if it works here and now it's good don't tell me anything beyond that don't tell me anything beyond you know Let, let, let's talk about Chaymer and Sura again. Let's just circle back to that. Let's say you have a $10,000 microscope in a laboratory. It's made out of a hunk of metal. Now, you could use that $10,000 microscope to look at the uh, cells, and uh, what, that's what it's designed for. Or you could take that same hunk of metal and use it to knock nails into the wall. Does it work? Yeah, it works. It works. And there's something comforting about that from a reductionist point of view, which is, look, if it works, leave it alone. It's good. Does it matter that that's not the real purpose, the real function? No, it doesn't. But it works. So that's the materialist view of human life. Look, you, you wa- the, the, ma- the materialist view of human life is you are a physical being, you seek out physical comfort, mm-hmm. you, even a moral materialist will say, and in doing so, try not to interfere with the physical comfort of others, and that's it. There are no other factors that you have to take into account that would complicate things. That is the materialist view that is the most rampant widespread views to the extent that today people don't even know that they're materialists they don't even know that they believe in an ism that ism is like the air that we breathe today it is so taken for granted people don't even know they're following it I was on a college campus and a girl interrupted me I forget even what I said that bothered her but I said some type of a spiritual statement she says is that logical so I said um, I believe it is logical, yeah. She's like, but is it logical? She kept saying, is it logical? I said, I mean, I can demonstrate it has a certain consistent uh, line of thinking to it, yeah. She's like, but can it be proven by science? So I stopped and I said, hold on a second. Do you realize you just completely switched? No. I said, first you asked me, is it logical? Then you asked me, can can it be proven by science? Do you understand that you just completely switched your question? No, she didn't realize. She thought it was the same exact question. I said, hold on a second. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me whether or not this statement is true. The statement is, the scientific method is the only method that we have to truly know about the universe around us. She said, that's true. I said, do you understand that that statement is not scientific? It's logical. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it demonstrates a certain logic, meaning it can be defended with logical proofs. It can be argued from a logical standpoint. I don't agree with that statement, but it's logical, but it's not scientific. What do I mean it's not scientific? There's no scientific experiment you can run that would prove or disprove that statement which is a philosophical statement that the only way we have to know the, uh, the truth of the world around us is through the scientific method. So that statement itself is not scientific. So I told it, you're, you're conflating the two, logic and science. Logic is dealing in abstraction. Do thoughts make sense? Does two plus two equal four? These are abstractions. Science is all based on what can I see, touch, taste, hear. My point is, That today, the world is completely taken in by a one world, world worldview. That there's nothing but the physical universe. There's nothing but our bodies. There's nothing but matter. You know that the rabbinic term for a a heretic or a particular kind of a heretic? Apikouris. You know what an Apikouris is? There was a Greek philosopher, Epicurus. An Epicurean was someone who followed Epicurus. What did he believe? Like a, a Epicurean delights. Yeah, that's right. So he believed yes. an Epicurean delight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think there's a there's a like a um, cooking website for recipes mm-hmm. called Epicurious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Epicurean delight. Yeah, you know what it really means though? It means uh, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It means that there's only the physical reality, therefore, enjoy it because there's nothing else. That's materialism. That's materialism. Apicorsis is there's only one world, there's the physical plane. Okay, so now let's talk about Balpa'er. What was Balpa'er? Balpa'er was a statement. Balpa'er was a statement. When I consume from this world, when I f- eat food, literally eating food, there is no, there is no uh, transformation that occurs. There's no elevation that occurs whereby anything is brought to a higher plane because there is no higher plane. I eat the food and that's it. That's the end of the line. My pleasure is the end of the line. And I'll prove it. What would they do? They would eat it, they consume it, and they would just drop their, their, their waste right in front of the idol, as if, not as if, to, they, to metaphorically make a statement, this is it, there's nothing more, it's all waste now, it's done. The last stop on the train is I consume it, I get pleasure, and now we're done. And therefore, what is the ultimate goal? My consumption, my pleasure, and that's it, nothing else comes from that. Why is that so antithetical to the Jewish view? Because the Jewish view is, no, when I consume something from the world around me, that's not the end of the line, that's just the beginning. From a Jewish point of view, eating, let's stick with eating. Because that's the actual example here. Eating is not an act of taking, eating is an act of giving. That's why uh, a cow wants to be eaten by a tzaddik. Not the cow itself, because they can't think that deeply, but the mazel of the cow, the, the spiritual entity, which is the higher form of the cow, wants to be eaten by a tzaddik. Why? Because when the tzaddik eats the cow, then the cow's energy gets an upgrade and is used for the things that the tzaddik uses it for. In, in, in contrast, there's a Gemarim Pesachim that says that an ama'aretz shouldn't eat meat. An And an ignoramus shouldn't eat meat. Why shouldn't they eat meat? Because the amaurita is going to eat the meat and act like an animal. Well, why did an animal have to die to be used for animalistic behavior? The animal can do that. But if the tzaddik eats the animal and then uses the animal's energy to do something that is greater than what an animal can do, The animal appreciates that. That's actually an act of giving to the animal. You've given an aliyah, you've given an elevation to the animal. But if you just use the animal for your pleasure, and that's the end of the line, and nothing comes from that, there's no conversion that comes from that, no transformation that comes from that, then that's an act of taking. It's an act of selfishness. So the amhaarits, the Gemara says, shouldn't eat meat. By the way, what's an amha'aretz? We always translate it as an ignoramus. But literally, you know what an amha'aretz is? A materialist. Literally, amha aritz means materialist. A person of the audits of the land. A materialist. It means a person who only has the audits, no shemayim. They only have the physical plane. So a person who only believes in the physical plane shouldn't be eating meat. I don't even know if they should be eating vegetables. Because what elevation are they giving if they think the end of the line is this epicurean attitude of eat it, consume it, enjoy it, and nothing else comes from it. Whereas the Jewish attitude is the exact opposite. When you take anything from the physical world around you, that is where the, 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 the relationship first begins. We elevate everything around us. We, 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 we tap into the energy, the potential, that's in the physical things. That it's not just a, a, a cow. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's calories for, for doing a mitzvah. Or it's parchment for a for, Sefer Torah, for a mezuzah, for everything that we encounter in the physical world around us from a Jewish point of view is a potential upgrade from the material to the spiritual. By the way, that's what the al said, the Balatanya, that Hashem gives us Gashmias and we turn it into Ruchnias. And he said, where is this based on? It's based on the, the wording of the Possek that calls the Jewish people Gei Echod Baaretz. Mi goy He says, a nation, goy means one nation, a unique nation on the earth. But he re- he read it in a deeper way, goy, a nation, that brings the oneness of Hashem ba'aretz into physicality. There was a chassid named Rashbatz, of Shmuel so uh, you know, he was he was a, a well known chassid. He was actually a malamed of of the of the and uh, of the rebbe Rashab as well. So and it was one time they were Fabreng at his house, and it was late into the night. It was a fabrengan, They had fabaisen, you know, snacks, and they had the uh, they the you know schnapps to say lechaim. And they were they were late into the night. I don't know what time it was, but it was late in the night, and they, they ran out of food. They had no more food. So where are they supposed to go? Go to Seasons Express? You couldn't just run to the stores in the middle of the night. So what did they have? They had, there was a sheep. Rashbat and his wife, they owned a sheep. And the sheep, they got a meager little parnossa from the sheep. They would sell the wool. They would get the milk. Um, but the chassidim were fabreng. He didn't want the fabreng to end. You need fuel for the Febrengen, right? In order for the Febrengen, the Febrengen is very inspiring. People are telling stories and and giving over words of Torah and and, and blessing each other and singing meditative songs, and it's a real spiritual thing. But if you run out of food, people get up and they leave. So he went out and he shechted the sheep. And he roasted it. And he came back in. You know, if you roast it, you don't have to salt it, so it speeds things up a little. And he brought the roast sheep, the roast lamb, and they, uh, they ate it. So in the morning, after the febrengan was over, Rashbatsa's wife comes over to him and says, where's the sheep? The sheep is gone. So he says to his wife, sheep is not gone. She says, I don't see the sheep. The sheep is gone. He says, no, no, no. The sheep is still very much with us. It's just that yesterday, he used to say, ba ba, Today, he says, "Echad," <laughs> meaning that the sheep became the fuel that, after the Fabrangin, these ksedim could go the next day and daven with kavona. And by the way, it's, it, uh, even within the story, the detail has a very specific meaning there. The echad. <laughs> why? Why do you say the word other than the fact that the, it sounds the same? ba,." <laughs> echad. You know, but the word echad <laughs> means oneness. In other words, if you have a perspective where there is a spiritual and a physical plane and that it is not uh, really two planes but one Hashem who made both of them and that there's this dynamic interplay between the, f- the physical and the spiritual, then w- what's the idea there? The idea is the ultimate echad, the, the ultimate oneness. So the you understand there, there, there's oneness that is... The materialist has one world, to the exclusion of, an, any, of any other plane of existence. The Jew has one world, which is inclusive of two opposite worlds. The real Shema Yisrael HaShem, the real oneness, is that we have Shemaim and Aretz, and there's this dynamic interplay between them. So in other words, the soul needs to come down into a body, just as much as the body needs the soul to come down into it. And that mitzvahs that are done physically here in this world are acts of elevation. And that when we consume physical resources, like when a Jew eats uh, a piece of food and then uses the calories to do a mitzvah, Mm -hmm. we're actually transforming the physical world. We're, 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 We're triggering a reaction whereby the physical becomes spiritual and reveals that all along they're really one. So at any rate, the worship of Baal is very much rampant still today. The notion that all we can do with the world around us is consume it and that's the end of the line. And the only antidote to that corrupted worldview is, is Torah is the Jewish worldview. The, the, the biggest mistake that the world is making today can only be corrected through sharing the Jewish worldview. That is the antidote to balpeer, to materialism. We have to go out and we have to teach the whole world that a human being isn't just a piece of meat with 95% the DNA of a baboon, a human being has a soul, a mission, a purpose. We have to teach people that things aren't just things. They're not just objects to amass and to have. But everything that we that we own is a potential conversion into a spiritual uh, transaction. That if you have money, so spend it on acts of good goodness and kindness. You, ha- you have a house, so use that house as a place of hospitality to have guests. Uh, you, you have a body, you have good health, so then use that to go out and, and make the world a better place. The point is that everything that exists on the physical plane simultaneously exists on the spiritual plane. We cannot be inhabitants of one world to the exclusion of the other. So this is, this is the big message that we have for the entire world. The world needs this message. The world needs our message. It's not enough that we insulate ourselves and we preserve our worldview. The world needs this worldview. And ultimately, what will happen? Should I spoil the punchline? I always spoil the punchline. Yeah, the punchline is, you know what happens in the end, right? What happens in the What? Mashiach. And what does Mashiach mean? What does Mashiach mean? Mashiach means, hmm? What do you say? the world recognizing Hashem, how, by dying and going to heaven? Where? Right here. That all flesh will see that empiricism and spirituality will no longer be two different worldviews. That's what Mashiach is, when we will see godliness here in the physical world. But we, the Jewish people, we have to bring that about.